few decades ago, right here in New York City, a famous actor was invited to do a social gathering not too far on the, I couldn't remember if it was the Upper East Side or the West Side. This actor was known for his iconic voice. If you heard it, you heard his narration, you would know that voice. He received that day many requests to recite favorite excerpts from whether the movies that he spoke in or just literary works. And there happened to be that day, I don't know how he got invited, but an old preacher from New York City was there and somehow got the courage to speak up and say, I'd like you to quote the 23rd Psalm. The actor agreed on one condition that the preacher would do it after he would do it. The actor's recitation was beautifully intoned. He received this lengthy applause. And right after he was finished, the old preacher stood up. His voice was rough, was worn from years of preaching, and his diction was anything but polished. But when he finished, he didn't get an applause. There wasn't a dry eye in the place. When someone asked the actor what made the difference, this is what he said. I know the psalm, but he knows the shepherd. That's the difference. I know the psalm and I knew the words, but he knew the God of the words. See, in Psalm 23, something happens where there's no mistake and no doubt that David the psalmist knows the shepherd he is talking about in verse 1. And it happens at this moment that I want to talk to you from moms and every person in this place. Something happens when he goes from green pastures to dark valleys. Something significant happens of a psalm that I've read hundreds of times, but something takes place that literally brought comfort to my own soul. And I want to show you this one huge step. In fact, you did it today when we sang that last song, and I'll point it out to you on how God becomes real when all of a sudden life goes from green pastures to dark valleys. Look at Psalm 23, and let me just read it to you. You know this, but let me read it to you today. The Lord is my shepherd. You know what? Why don't you read it with me? Come on, church. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul, and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hallelujah. Can I sum those words up for you for just a few moments? Someone said it like this. Let me just give you phrase by phrase. It goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd. That's relationship. I shall not want. That's his supply. He makes me lie down in green pastures. That's his rest. He leads me beside still waters. That's God's refreshment. He restores my soul. Hallelujah. That's healing. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. That's his guidance. For his name's sake, that's the purpose. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's testing. I'll fear no evil. That's the protection of God. For you are with me. That's faithfulness. 
Your rod and staff, they comfort me. At times I'll need discipline and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That's hope. You anoint my head with oil. Consecration. My cup runs over. That's abundance. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's the blessing of God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's security forever. That's eternity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've read that small chapter, like I told you, probably over a hundred times. Learned something that brought such comfort to my life and something I needed recently. Today on Mother's Day, I believe and I'm hoping it's going to not only be encouragement for you and comfort, but for anybody that's here. Whether you get hit, and moms more than ever get hit with those dark valleys because they don't get just hit for themselves. They get hit for every child and every grandchild. They're the ones that are carrying so much weight. But I've learned something valuable. When David goes from pastures to valleys, when he goes from still waters to nearby enemies, and you're going to see this, you're going to see God in the good times, pastures, and still waters, and you're going to see God in the bad times. Dark valleys in the presence of my enemies. When he goes from these green pastures, church, to these valleys, something significant happens. And this is what I want to talk to you about, and I want you, to, I want you just to kind of bear with me for a few moments. David does something. He moves from the third person to the second person. What he does is David starts going from third to second. That's not good news in baseball, but it is good news in this song. And you did it when you started to sing the, the song at the very end, when Freddie was leading us, when, he, when we started to sing that song, you are the source of my strength. We started off, Lord, I will lift my voice. And as you started to do that, you were in the third person. But all of a sudden, when you got to that chorus, you started to say, you are the strength of my life. You are the source of my strength. You moved from the general to the personal. See, that change happened at David's most critical time. He is talking in the beginning, the first three verses, get this, about God. That's the he part, that he leads me beside still waters. But then all of a sudden, the change comes, and now David switches from the third to the second. He goes from he to you, that you will guide me. You, you will be my source. You will be there for me. You will anoint me. You will be with me. David is no longer preaching to others about the shepherd. David is now praying to the shepherd at this point. David shifts these words as the enemies are nearby, as death is closing in. His first prayer to God is this. This is where he switches. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. What he was saying was that fear and your presence can't coexist. If you are with me and fear is haunting me, if you're with me, those two things can't go together. If God is there, David realizes God is there just when I need him most. At that moment, that God steps in. You see this in the book of Job. Nobody knew the shadow of death more than Job. The whole book is about the shadow of death from his family to his own life. When Job, get this now, was facing the shadow of death. You ready for this? 
He was around third person people and second person was what Job would become. Job's friends spoke loftily about God as if they just became experts. But the amazing thing about this book is Job spoke to God while everybody else was speaking about God. 58 times Job talks directly to God in that entire book. He's going from third to second. See, going from third to second is the difference between religion and relationship. That's the difference between these two things. That just to talk about God keeps it a religion. But when you talk to him, it moves it into a relationship with God. That's why I'm just telling you for churches here in New York City, around the country and around the world, it is it, it, the church becomes a dangerous place if all we do know how to do is to preach about God, about God but never talk to God. It becomes dangerous if we can communicate from a pulpit but we don't know how to fall on our knees and get a hold of God. It's when we can go from a simple message and to say, I believe that because of the times and the shadow of death that is coming and sweeping across our cities, we don't need a church that simply can talk about God. We need a church that can talk to God today. That's what he's asking for us to do. That's the challenge for us today. And that's why this is so important. I, I want to just take two simple things today. How did this switch happen for David? And how can it happen for you today? How did David all of a sudden go from the general to the personal? How do you go from just knowing thoughts and concepts about God or maybe knowing religious statements about God, whether you're sitting here on 51st and Broadway or you're listening from France or whether you're listening from the Bahamas, whether you're sitting there from Japan and you're going, you know things about him, but you've never talked to him. You've never experienced what it is to go over. How did this happen for David? That's what I want to just, I want to just show you just that change for just a moment because we see the change between verses three and four, when David realized that all of a sudden the journey changed. And in verse four, it just simply says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Look at that word shadow. Shadow means it's close, but it's not there yet. Whenever there's a shadow, though the shadow can't affect you, you know that the presence that's causing the shadow is awfully close. The sense of the shadow turned his third to second, his preaching to prayer. And, and it all started when it was a shadow of death. There are people that are sitting here today. There are people that are listening today that you've experienced that. You've experienced when something has happened that literally starts to speak about death or mortality. Let's just be honest. As, and, and as you begin to realize, whether it happened in a car accident, whether it was a diagnosis or a doctor's report, whether it's something that happened on a plane or maybe you were called into the military in a war and maybe you've seen things or even come close to things. Let me just tell you something. Right here in New York City, it could happen on a subway platform that you could, be, you could feel that shadow of death that can begin to come. I realize this. And I realize it's happening more to me as, as I'm getting older, the shadow is getting closer. Let me just be honest. It's when you get, when all of a sudden as you get older, shadows get closer and closer. When you are in your 20s and 30s, you are invincible. When you're 40, you just get sick and from 50 on, stuff just breaks. Let me just tell you that right now. And, and at some point, that 
that shadow seems to come closer. I remember the first time that Cindy and I felt that shadow begin to even hit me. We were working on the streets of Detroit, and there are many different times that, that the shadow was quick and it was gone. But one time I remember the shadow getting close when I was just got back with Brother Dave Wilkerson, the founder of Times Square Church, and we were overseas. Pastor Carter was there. We were in Israel doing a conference of the nation in Jerusalem. And once we got back, something happened after preaching here at Times Square Church that this, this, this um, pain started to hit not just my back, but it started to radiate down my arms. Something was going on. And I'll never forget when we did the MRI and the doctor, and it's not a thing that you want to hear, when the doctor said, um, we got the results back, but I want to come over to the house to talk to you about it. That all of a sudden, the shadow started to come close at that moment. You're thinking to yourself, what's, what's going to happen? What, what are we faced with now? And some of you are sitting here today, and even as I'm speaking, you may even feel that shadow closer than ever that starts to come. But here's what happens with David. When death got close, he needed God closer. When the shadow started to move in towards him. See, death, when you start to feel that shadow, all of a sudden, and you start to feel what David is talking, that valley of the shadow of death, I'm telling you, what you start to realize when that happens is you start to basically realize what is really most important in life. And the things that irritate, and the things that you want to talk about, and the things that everybody wants to talk about, when you start feeling that shadow, you start to realize the things that you thought were important at 30 and 40 aren't that important once you start feeling that shadow. One Puritan writer said it like this. He said, he said, if you attempt to talk with a dying man about sports or business, he's no longer interested. He now sees other things as more important. People who are dying recognize what we often forget, that we are standing on the brink of another world. That's what happens when the shadow comes close. But that's what happens as you start to see God even begin to come closer. You start to realize that at any moment, for any of us that's sitting here, whether you're my age or whether you're younger, whether you're in college or in high school, I, I, I love what the author of the song, John, Amazing Grace, John Newton said. This is how he described his life. He says, I'm like a person. I'm going on a journey in a stagecoach who expects its arrival every hour, frequently looking out the window. I'm packed and I'm sealed and I'm ready for my post. It means no matter where I'm going, I'm always looking. God, when is it that things are going to happen? When is it? But in the midst of that, in the midst of the darkest times that you go through, I need to know God is with me. I need to know that God is there. I need to know that God is walking with me. I don't need the, simply the Lord is my shepherd. I need to know, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me at that point. That's what I need to know. I was reading the story of the great 19th century preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who was a Bible preacher, and some have found fault, he said, when he got up to preach one Sunday, he said, some have found fault with me contending that I'm too old-fashioned, always quoting the Bible, and I don't say enough about science. He said, okay, there's a widow here whose son has just died. She wants to know if she'll ever see him again and how she can walk through this. So let's turn to science, Spurgeon said, and let's see, science, 
Where will she see him, science? Where is he, science? And does death mean it's the end of everything, science? And science, will you be with her as she walks through her grief? And Spurgeon sat there with this deafening silence. Nothing was being said. And then all of a sudden, Spurgeon goes, well, we're waiting. This woman needs to hear something. And he waited again. Nothing to say? Then I'll say something from this book, Spurgeon said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. And he looked at the people and said, science will not walk you through the darkest times. Science will not be there when you're going through your darkest valleys. But I want to tell you today, you may sit here as an atheist or an agnostic. You may be watching online doubting the existence of God. But I want to tell you, when you are faced with your dark valley, I've got a book that says he will walk with you. He will be with you and walk with you all the way to the end. Until you realize that you need someone close is when you realize the shadow is coming upon you. You can, I, 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 as I think even through this, that valley of the shadow of death is literally translated the valley of deep darkness. It's when you can't see what's next. It's really what's, what's it's uncertainty with what, what tomorrow holds, but it's the certainty that God is with you who's going to walk you into tomorrow. That's what I want. I want a shepherd that's going to walk with me. I don't want facts. I want a person. I don't need a book. I need a shepherd to walk with me. I was reading the story of the great evangelist, D.L. Moody, who came to the end of his life. And someone asked him how he felt as his life was just literally weeks away. And he was about, his life was to be over. It was his moment of going from third to second. <laughs> Moody said it like this. He says, one day you'll hear that Moody is dead. Don't believe a word of it. Where I'm going, I'll be more alive than ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Moody knew like David. Spurgeon knew it like David. That when death is close, when the shadow is close, here's what I'm sure of. You are with me. You will comfort me. You will prepare me and you will anoint me. That's what he says. Now, I want to say something to you today and I want you to listen very carefully. I have to speak to this today, especially as we are walking through the valley of a shadow of death here. Our country is about to go through another firestorm in our cities and especially here in New York City with riots and confusion from what has transpired this week regarding the possible overturning of the Roe versus Wade by the Supreme Court. Right now, just from a leak, not even a formal decision, chaos is happening around the country. Just from a leak, there is no formal decision yet. And there have been talks even today that we have been on alert at Times Square Church that there will be attacks on churches today around the country. And I want you to listen carefully. Those online, those that are here, I want to speak to this today. As we walk through this and knowing God is with us, I want to speak real carefully. And listen, I'm not saying this for applause. I'm not saying this for grandstanding. 
This may make some mad and upset in this place. And those that are watching, you can send it wherever you want. We, I want you to understand, this is a truth issue. Times Square Church will always stand for Bible truth. I want you to understand that. So I want to make a statement. I'm not grandstanding. I'm not wanting simply to get people to, I'm not preaching to the choir, but I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me carefully. We believe, based on the Bible, that the life of a child starts at conception. I want you to understand this. Say whatever you want. We believe this not from a political position, but from a biblical position. The Bible eclipses party lines. Democrat and Republican are eclipsed in the view of Bible truth. Listen, that's why it's important to understand the voice of the majority can never replace the voice of God. We are a church that believes this. We are a church that stands and says we are a people that says, thus saith the Lord, then that's what needs to be said. The voice of the people can never take the place of the voice of God. Now, folks, I want you to get this. A hundred million tweets, a hundred million likes will never equal truth. Let me say that again. You can like something a hundred million times. The bandwagon is starting to replace the Bible. We live under the pressure that numbers are truth, and they tell the truth, and they make the truth. But really, the only place the truth is found is in the Bible itself and in the Word of God. So let me help you for just a moment, church, just for a moment, because I know there'll be, there'll be, there'll be attacks on this. But Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, is what God sees and thinks about the unformed child in the womb. I want to tell you what God thinks and what God sees. You ready for this? I want you to see this, this what God says. He says, my frame, David, David who wrote Psalm 23 says, my frame, I'm sorry, for you were created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from me when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Now here it comes. Listen, your eyes saw my unformed body. It saw my un... You, you know what that word actually means in the Hebrew language? Embryo. Embryo. You look it up. My, your eyes, God, saw my unformed body, embryo, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Which means... God ordained the days of an unformed, unborn child while it's in the mother's womb. He knew what that future was going to be. Unformed in God's eyes. Listen, does not mean it's not a person. God goes, I'm already planning the days of that child. My prayer and the leaders of this church have been praying for the U.S. Supreme Court that you would have the courage to do what's right and what is biblical. And based on Psalm 23, you cannot 
Listen, judges, you cannot unless you go from the third person to the second person. Don't talk about God. You are in a moment. You better talk to God. When you are faced with the death of the unformed children, with the destiny from God and even death threats that may come towards you and other justices, your only recourse is to do what David has done. God, you are with me. God, you can comfort me. God, you can prepare me. God, you can anoint me. When you walk through the darkest seasons of your life, I need God to walk close with me. I need God to walk close with us. Regardless of what we face outside the doors or inside the doors, I want a God who is with me, comforting me, preparing me, and hallelujah, anointing me to do what he's asked us to do. Number two, and let's close with this. How can this happen even for you today? How, how do you go from third to second in an uncertain future? How do you make that move? It's not just God in general, but God becomes personal. Because the danger is this. The danger is when you've known a way and have done something for so long, sometimes we forget what the right way to do it is. Um, I brought up to the pulpit, I brought up my phone because they text me the countries that are watching so we can acknowledge them because those that are watching online from all those different countries, from Lagos and Nigeria, the UK, all of those to us are so important that we want you to understand for those in Peru and for Uruguay, that you're just as much part as those that are sitting here in person. But what's interesting is this, is that when I look at my phone and I, and I have it, there is, a, there is a woman's voice that has become so part of our lives, or really two women, which is Alexa and Siri. Those two ladies are always talking. And, and the part that has helped me, because I've been so... Um, mocked by my children that I still text with one thumb or one, anybody who have one finger texter, I just want to make sure I'm not alone. When I watch people that are going like, I'm going like, how, how do you do that? Like, how does that happen? Like, I just don't even understand that. And so, so the greatest thing for us is if you're a one thumb texter, I so appreciate the dictation app that you can go, um, I don't want to do it, but you can go like, hey, Siri, text Cindy. And so probably 20 phones are going off right now going, who's Cindy? Um, but if I go, hey, Siri, text Cindy, um, then it just allows me to say it. But you've got to put in the punctuation. And it happened not too long ago. I said, hey, Siri, text Doug. And all of a sudden I go, um, I texted him. And then I called him because he wasn't responding and I left a voicemail. But I left the voicemail like it was dictation. So I go, hey, Doug, period. This is Tim, period. How are things going, question mark? And I left this whole line of punctuation on his voicemail. And he's, and he's calling me back going, bro, like, what? 
You don't have to put the punctuation. Your voice inflections let me know when something is being punctuated. And what happened was I got so used to doing it this way that I forgot that, that I don't have to do that. See, when you do stuff for so long, sometimes you forget the right way to actually do it. And some of us have been coming or a part or have known church and have been doing church for so long that we forgot the right way. That, we, that we're so entrenched, or let me say it to you this way, we're so stuck on third that we know about God, but we never talk to God. We've never, we've lived our life in verses one, two, and three that we have no idea that when the valley of the shadow of death comes, we don't know how to get from third to second. We don't know how to get from God that, that God is good to you are good to me. We don't understand that. And so I want to just give you, as we close, how this can happen to you today. In fact, let me start this way. Let me walk you through. Pastor Patrick talked a little bit about this on Tuesday night on the New Covenant. And I want to walk you through this for just a moment. So get ready just to write this down, take pictures, because you need to see how important this is. So I want to give you a word about every man on the planet. Here it is. This is right from the Bible. It's Romans 3.10. It's written. This is what we go by. There is none righteous, not even one. Think of that. Think of what the Bible says, that we're born in sin. It's a bent in us to be, that, that we are sinners. From, from the moment we're born, there is a condition in us that has to be fixed. So here's the second question. Who, uh, this is going to be the negative part, who doesn't go to heaven? You ready for this? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous, we just read in Romans 3.10, that there is an unrighteous. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Well, now we've got a problem. So if no one is righteous, not even one, and the unrighteous do not go to heaven, then here's the, here's the issue. Then nobody goes to heaven. Some of you going like, that's why I came to church today. <laughs> this is Mother's Day. Stay with me because good news comes. Unless, keep that up there, that, that, that slide up there. Unless something happens and something is done for for us. So here's the question then. Who goes to heaven? You ready for this? Matthew 25 says it like this. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the, what does it say? Righteous. And we, we already realized the righteous go into eternal life, but we've already realized nobody is righteous. Not even one. The righteous go to heaven and now we have a big problem. So here's what we've got so far on this really tough Mother's Day. No one is righteous. The unrighteous, here it comes, the unrighteous don't go to heaven, but the ones that do go to heaven are righteous. So here is the best question you can ask. How do I become righteous so I can go to heaven? See, men don't like the way God has provided salvation so it's easy for people to make up their own way. It's easy for people to come up with their own system. Suppose you were a banker and a man came to you to borrow money. Here's the question. You're a banker. Someone came to borrow money. Who has the right to make the terms of the agreement? The banker or the person that needs the money? Well, it's the banker. It's the one that's in charge. It's the one. So it's not you that needs righteousness. It's the one that has created the way to heaven. Because men will make up their own righteousness. Listen to what it says in Romans 10.3. For not knowing about God's righteousness, men will seek to establish their own. 
They didn't subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So they'll try to establish their own righteousness. And what that means is that instead of doing it God's way, they'll create their own way. Let me give you an example of this. A few years ago, Warren Buffett, the world's second richest man, announced to the world that he was donating 85% of all of his $44 billion uh, fortune to four charitable foundations. Think about that. 85% of $44 billion. Commenting on this extreme level of generosity, let me read to you what Warren Buffett said. He said, there is more than one way to get to heaven, and this is a great way. Okay, look at me for a second. Warren may be money smart, but he is eternity dumb. Because you don't get to heaven by donating to charity. Because you've already started off not being righteous. So Warren, you can't get righteous with, you can give 100% of your $44 billion. That doesn't change it. Because generous people, you could be generous and unrighteous. It doesn't get you to heaven. The Bible says that the righteous go to heaven. So how do I become righteous, Pastor Tim? Here it is. I'm going to give it to you. These are the most important verses you can read this, really today, this month, this year. It's Romans 3.22. Listen to these words. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter Warren Buffett, who we are. For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. Okay, now we got to get to the righteous part. This is the next chapter. That's Romans 3. Let's go over to Romans 4 as we get ready to close. Romans 4, for the scripture tells us Abraham takes a, a test case. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 5, but people are counted as righteous not because of their work, generosity, sincerity, Good people. I haven't hurt anybody. They're not counted righteous because of that, but because of their faith in God who forgives the sinners. Look at this now. Verse 9. Now is the blessing only for the Jews? No. It's also for the uncircumcised, the Gentiles. That's you. That's me. If you're here not Jewish, then we're Gentiles. Well, we've been saying that Abraham was counted as righteous by God. Why? Because of his faith. Here it comes. Last verse. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise. They would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. Look at that phrase again. The righteousness that comes by faith. We're born, no one's righteous. The unrighteous don't inherit the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says, Jesus said in Matthew 25, it is the righteous that go into eternal life. So how do we become righteous? The righteous that comes by faith. Righteousness is a gift from God that comes through faith. That's where it starts. The day that I believe in Jesus, becomes my, that he's my sin bearer, is the day that I become righteous. I move from unrighteousness to righteous. And here's what's crazy. Ready for this? How righteous am I? That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. 
Listen to this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. That's incredible. I'm the righteousness of God. His record becomes my record. My sins are as if I've never committed them. I was thinking about this. And um, our, our oldest, our Christian, our son, just drove back home. Finals are over. He just drove back in this weekend. And we were just telling him his first time, driving eight hours, we just said, you know, slow down, don't do this. And we've got that app on the phone. We know where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking. And I remember as I was thinking about this, I remember when I got my first part, my first ticket, speeding ticket. It was, it was like 45 and a 30. And I, and I was driving, it was in Detroit. And, and I mean, I was, I mean, I was guilty, but I said, I'm going to court. I don't know what I was doing then. I was just going to court. So I just said, I'm going to court. Here's what it was amazing. I get to court. Places packed, 300 proposed innocent people. We're all guilty. Let me just say this. We were all guilty. It's happened once. It is, I've never seen it happen again. This was, in the, this was in the early 1980s. We get into this Detroit courtroom, 300 people getting ready to stand before a judge, one by one, one by one, one by one. And all of a sudden, nothing is happening for an hour and we're sitting there. So now you have guilty people who are impatient and it's just not good. And all of a sudden the court officer comes out and says, folks, our entire computer system has gone down. All of your tickets are gone. Everybody gets to go. You have no more tickets. Talk about going from third to second. I watch people that, that, that uh, 10 minutes before were so mean, all of a sudden we're going, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going, this is like church. This is amazing. All these Christians are in this place. And I started to realize to myself, that's exactly what happens at salvation. The computers go down and God goes, nothing is held against you any longer. And it's a great time to go, Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. We're all guilty. Here's the thing C.S. Lewis said. All of us are equally bankrupt. We just haven't declared it yet. All of us are bankrupt. We need God. We need God to come and help us. So here's how we finish today. Let's go back to Psalm 23. Come on, say these words out loud with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Think about this. I shall not want means I have everything that I'll ever need. But let's be clear. Look at that verse again. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let me be clear with you. You can't have part two if you don't make him part one. You cannot have, you cannot be content unless the shepherd is the Lord of your life. But the question is, do you want the second part bad enough to get the first half right? The Lord, the boss, that he becomes the God of your life. Let me explain it to you like this. You ready? Jesus died on the cross. That's historical. You died on the cross for me. 
That's personal. Look at that again. That's going from third to second. Jesus died on the cross. That's true, but it still hasn't affected you. You've got to step over and go, you died on the cross for me. That's when everything changes. That's when all of a sudden it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Jesus is Lord. That will never change. The only thing up in the air is when are you going to bow before that? That's the only thing that's up in the air. Either you submit to him now or there's coming a day where every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And that today can be the day that you go, you are my shepherd. You are the Lord. Because I know that when that shadow comes, I want to know you are with me. You will prepare me. You will, you will anoint me. And you are the one that I want with me every single day of my life. I want you to close your eyes and bow your head as we close today. Whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person, it's really going from third to second. It's not just knowing about God, but it's knowing him today. The Bible refers to that relationship about being, as being born again. That no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. We come to the point that we declare ourselves bankrupt unless God comes in and changes us. That, that as we're sitting here today, let's just be real clear. No one is righteous, not even one of us. No matter what we have done, no matter how much money we have given, no matter how, much, how many things that we have provided for our family, all those things are great, but that's not what he said. The issue is not generous people and good people. The issue is we need to be righteous people. That's what he's asking us to be. How does that happen? That's faith in God, faith in Jesus. It's when God begins to take his righteousness and puts it in our account. We become as righteous as God is. And that can happen today. That that shift from verse three to verse four is a relationship shift. It's not just talking about God, talking about church. It's not just knowing about religion. He when we can say Jesus died for our sins, that's historical. You died for me. That's what's personal. And that can happen today. The change can happen in you today, in this building. It's by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I want you to be. That word Lord means you're the boss now. You're in charge of my life. When the Bible talks about being born again, it literally means... That just as you had a first birth, you need a second birth. First birth physically, second birth spiritually. And that can happen to you right now. That can happen wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching, from around the world. It can happen to you right now. So with every head bowed and every head bowed and every eye closed, wherever you're at, whoever you are, and you would just say, maybe, maybe you're here because your mom invited you or your grandmother invited you. And maybe it was her wish to say, don't buy me any gifts. Just come to church today. Or don't, don't, don't buy me any gift. Just watch church online with me today. Whatever that may be. But this could be the change for you. To move from a person that knows about religion to a person that walks in a relationship with God. That can happen to you today. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, that new relationship called being born again can happen to you today. 
It's when God comes in and changes us from the inside out. It's when the computer system goes down and God goes, you are forgiven of your sins. You are forgiven of your sins. Justified just as if I've never sinned. That's the people that go to heaven. Not Times Square Church people. I hate to tell you this. Times Square Church people that we can't get you to heaven. Presbyterians can't get you there. Muslims can't get you there. Jewish people can't get you there. Only Jesus can get us there. And today he wants to bring you home. He's calling you to himself. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you were to hear today and just say, Pastor Tim, I want that change in my life. I want to be born again. I want the shepherd to be Lord. I want the Lord to be my shepherd. I want a relationship with the God that you're talking about today. If that's you, balcony, main floor, online, if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, that born-again prayer, that prayer that takes me from unrighteous to righteousness, the prayer that God comes in and forgiveness changes me from the inside out, I want, I want to be part of that prayer. And just for now, over these next few months or a couple weeks, we're still have a little bit of a protocol here. We're not going to make you stand and we're not going to call you forward, but I am going to ask you this. If you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, when you pray that prayer, once again, you won't stand, won't come forward, but I am going to ask you this. I'll be the one that's looking. If you say, put me in that prayer, I want to start a relationship. I want to start a journey with God today. I want, most important question, I want to be born again. I want to be born again. Online, I want you just, I want you to get ready to respond. And here, if that's you, and say, would you just put me in that prayer, Pastor Tim? I want to start that journey with God. Without any hesitation, if that's you, just say, would you put me there? Would you just hold up your hand? Say, put me in that prayer. Hold it up high, because I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. Because I'm going to count them and make sure I see them. There's one, two, three, four, five. Keep them up. In the back, six. Got you back there. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Keep them up. I want to make sure I see every hand that's up. That's 11. Anybody in the balcony? I want to make sure we see your hands in the balcony. Anybody in the balcony that have your hands up? Gotcha. 12, 13, 14, 15. That's fantastic. 16. Gotcha over there. You could put your hands down. And those that are watching online, if that's you, just type in the word decided. We're going to respond to you in just a second. Right now, there's so far, there's five people that are already responding online. So just type that in, decided. We want to believe for God to do. Can we join with these people that are moving from third to second that are going like, it's not just God, but it's you. You can change me. Come on, let's pray this all together. Can we just pray this together? Everybody here. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin my shame and my guilt. And you died for it. You faced hell for me so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, let's say this together. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. And a Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. 
Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.